Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's me, Nathan Illman, your host. This is Nurse Wellbeing Mission. In today's episode, I've got a special conversation with you with Emma Henry. Emma is an ex-nurse who experienced a psychotic episode as a result of a number of factors, including the stress that was being caused by her work as a nurse that had accumulated over a number of years Emma shares her story in this episode with me and it is a fantastic window into some of the failings of staff support within the nursing profession and helps us to understand more about some of the particular challenges that nurses are going through and how some of these different challenges all come together to create intense levels of stress and what we can do to better support people. So Emma's story is one that involves severe mental ill health. So experiencing hallucinations and delusions, having a psychotic breakdown is something that most people would absolutely dread happen to them. Of course, we don't want that to happen to anyone. And Emma courageously shares her story about what happened to her And we learn from this conversation some of the things that could be done differently. And Emma also shares what she does now. So she has been on her journey through recovery and is now helping other nurses and other people manage things like anxiety and stress. So if you don't know me, I'm someone who is big on preventative mental health. I believe in having open, honest, vulnerable conversations about mental health and trying to remove some of the stigma and shame around having these conversations in nursing, midwifery and healthcare in general. So what you'll be getting in this conversation is just that. There's lots of vulnerability, there is a courageous and bold discussion about mental health and what can be done to improve that and support it within healthcare. So if you don't already follow me and Nurse Wellbeing Mission, you can do. You can find us on Facebook, join our free Facebook group. It's Nurse and Midwife Wellbeing Mission. You can sign up to my free community. So this conversation that I had with Emma was a live event that people had access to as part of my free community. I open up these conversations to the community to have guided reflective practice after them with Q&A with the guest. So if you'd like to be part of that in the future, then go over to my website. It's nursewellbeingmission.com and you can find through the individual nurses section of that how you can join up to the community. You can also find us on Instagram. It's at underscore nursewellbeingmission and on Twitter, it's at nursewellbeing. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast please do so on wherever you get your podcast from so i'm gonna finish my little intro for now and leave you to this amazing conversation about mental health and recovery with emma henry for everyone listening or watching emma and i just had a brief chat about this conversation And I think this is worth sharing at the beginning in the outset of this conversation about how open and honest Emma was going to be about her experience that she is very kindly offered to share with us this evening. And I was saying that I want Emma to be as courageous and open and honest about her experience as possible. So I'm really looking forward to this, Emma. Thank you so much for for joining me. Why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about 
your background, where you came from and how you got into nursing in the first place. Uh, thank you, Nathan, for letting me tell my story. So I'm Emma. I'm 50 now. I got into nursing when I was 32. Before that, I tried to do engineering at university, but it was just too difficult. The math was crazy. So I kind of bummed around for a while and I wanted to go to Australia. So I thought nursing would be a really good idea to do it that way. So I did my nursing, um, qualified when I was 35, went to Australia for a year and a bit, which was amazing. And the nursing out there is completely different to how the nursing is in the UK. Came back and yeah, I um, nursed for about 10 years in the UK and started to feel a little bit ill after having a couple of kids and my youngest one didn't sleep until he was nearly two. I'd gone from the wards that were so stressful into dermatology so the hours were better but then yeah started to feel a bit strange and started to hear voices and yeah it was a bit scary heard them for two weeks and it was there was nobody there first of all I thought they were playing hide and seek these patients who were going to get their leg ulcers done so they can't walk very fast so I was thinking well where are they they can't be hiding that quickly so yeah it was incredibly horrible and scary time and a little bit after that it was well book day we were in Waterstones and my daughter's face turned into the devil and she was only five so I kind of realized then that things weren't so well and maybe I should be taking some time off I'm really curious to go back to the point at which you first started noticing things weren't quite right. You know, it sounded like there was a gradual progression of, of that feeling burned out or feeling stressed. And one of the main catalysts for that was lack of sleep from your youngest. Was it your son? Yeah, you it say? was. Yeah, 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 Zach. So can you just talk a little bit about any other sort of symptoms or how you were feeling before the onset of those, uh, the voices and the other hallucinations kind of, yeah, how were you feeling at that time? What, what happened before the onset of those? I had really bad prenatal depression with my first and postnatal depression because I had a miscarriage before that when I was at work, which was a little bit horrendous. So then I was really paranoid that I was going to miscarry again. And so the pregnancy was fine, but I was just really scared. And after having Daisy was awful. And I thought that she would get up in her little cot at a couple of weeks old and tell me how awful I was as an old woman. And yeah, it was pretty awful. And you have all these horrible, crazy thoughts, you know, the worst case scenario. And after about a year, they went. Then about another year later, I got pregnant with Zach and it was all fine. I felt fine in my pregnancy. I felt fine afterwards. And when he came out and I went, oh, this is what you're supposed to feel like when you have your baby. This is like the joy you get. I didn't have any of that with Daisy. It was all fear and panic. And then suddenly I had this other child and I was like, oh, so you can relax when you have your child and you can really enjoy them. You can actually see them for who they are. And it's just, oh, it was a beautiful feeling. But then about a year or so afterwards, I was just moody all the time. He hadn't slept. I couldn't understand why he couldn't sleep. And we were trying everything. There was no pattern. We'd keep diaries of his sleep. And we'd go to the doctor saying, look, we don't understand what's going on. He just does not sleep. There's nothing here that would say that we could do. And so, yeah, it was pretty horrific and just felt very snappy. And I was noticing that I was hearing things a, a bit louder. And I was thinking, why am I in this coffee shop? And everything has suddenly just gone, poof. It's really loud. And it all seems a bit 
freaky that I don't quite understand what's going on and it's too loud and I don't like it I want to run away I'm quite scared right now and I was thinking this isn't normal this isn't like me I like to be around lots of people and noise and then suddenly when you'd walk past a room that had a pump but the noise would just be extreme and you just I just wanted to hide just wanted to hide and yeah not be around anything you know wanted to be really quiet which is quite difficult when you've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old because you have to go places with them and <laughs> that's going to involve indoor stuff and so yeah I'm sure that's an experience many people who are listening can resonate with, with being a nurse or midwife or indeed just working in healthcare in general and having young children demands that are being placed on you in that your example that nursing environment as well as having some of these ongoing issues that come along with parenting that don't just easily sort themselves out sometimes do they it sounds like you were doing everything you could to try and support your son's sleep but of course that's stressful for not being able to change it but also because of a lack of sleep you're getting as well right yeah, it's pretty horrific not having a good night's sleep and you're never quite sure. So you can't really go into that deep sleep because you're never quite sure when he's going to wake up. And yeah, it was a horrible time. So I really feel for people who say their children don't sleep. It is horrific. It's the worst thing ever. And, you know, you're trying to do a 12 hour shift on a couple of hours sleep, which is, I think, quite dangerous because you know, you don't really know what you're doing. Oh, you're doing medication, you know what it's like being a nurse. You've got a lot of responsibility and suddenly you don't have enough sleep. You just feel unsafe. And then that makes you question everything that you're doing. Then there's extra pressure. So it's this big circle, isn't it, of, of like doom and gloom and fear and stress and anxiety. And yeah, you don't want to do anything wrong because you're looking after people. And yeah, but you're just so tired. You don't really know what you're doing. It sounds like there was a whole storm like this kind of like that came before the psychosis those hallucinations and other experiences of like you just said that anxiety and stress and probably questioning yourself and doubting yourself as well and before we get more into the, the psychosis I'm, I'm really curious actually to understand a bit more about so you were experiencing all this stuff before you know your mental health was deteriorating you're having all these issues um, around parenting outside of your nursing role I suppose two questions I'm really interested in what kind of support was offered to you in your nursing role and related to that how much did people check in with you like just in general <laughs> your leadership or other colleagues around what was going on for you I don't mean to laugh let's just say wasn't the best but then I don't think anybody really knew what to do some of them were a bit scared thinking oh my god she's hearing voices like I'm a bit scared of talking to her working in health uh, is probably the least supportive of when you go off mental when you've got you know like mental health problems I don't know I hope it's changing I really do hope it's changing that they are supporting people better than they did five years ago because it really was right you know you really aren't very well you know, my boss would maybe check in with me maybe once a week, maybe once or twice, you know, but she did do regular updates and asked how I was. But yeah, and then I'd have to go in and see the doctor and she'd be like, we need to get you back to work. And I was saying, I'm not ready. You know, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't feel safe. I don't feel great. You know, I feel dead inside. I'm not ready to go back. Oh, but Emma, come on. It's, it's been a few months. Let's get going. You know, and it's quite a stoic way of doing it. And 
it's not healthy when somebody's telling you you should be going back to work when you don't feel safe to go back to work and you're paranoid that you're going to go back and the voices are going to start again. Right, so this is after you've developed the voices and the other the hallucinations and stuff. So this is when the psychotic episode is fully fledged. You're getting this kind of check-in from your manager, but you, there's a kind of almost pressure to actually return to work before you're ready. Yep, it was. Yeah. So because I'd had psychosis and it wasn't extreme psychosis, so I, I wasn't sectioned. And so I was, I was quite well for that part of psychosis, but also I was too ill to be seen by anybody else. So there was nothing for me at all. I was basically in limbo land and I was seen by my GP once a month. And that's what kept me going, knowing that I could see my gorgeous GP who was really supportive, who really helped out, who listened to me, got you know, the mental health team to come out and see me quite quickly. And then after that, it's just nothing, just him. It, I suppose it highlights a couple of really important things. One is gaps in services and how people fall through the net, so to speak, and aren't offered support for a particular difficulty when they're in a particular circumstances but I suppose the second point which is really lucky for you is how incredible just one single compassionate person like the kind of impact that person can have right Mm. I've talked about that before with my own experience of depression and how I was lucky to have found the GP I went to when I was experiencing severe depression happened to be a really compassionate understanding empathetic GP who had time for me and I think, you know, that person was instrumental in saving me from the depths that I was in. And it sounds very much like you had someone who was there, even though there wasn't access to specialist psychosis services or something else, or you didn't get any kind of community mental health support at that time. You had this one person who was your sort of rock. Yeah, he was just stunning. He didn't push me back at all. He'd be like, right, Emma, how are you feeling? And I would just sit there, just numb. I just remember being incredibly numb and just not crying or anything, just not having any emotions, just being numb. And he would ask me, like, how are you feeling and everything else? And I'd tell him how awful I felt. And he just sat there and he was really empathetic because he's quite a tough doctor as well. And he's one of those ones that doesn't take fools lightly. And, you know, if you're there because you want to like a bit of time off work, he won't do that. But, yeah, he was really wonderful he sat there I felt like I was listened to and I was heard because a lot of people weren't listening and it was a very lonely terrifying time yeah it certainly sounds that when your, your reality is shifting your grip on reality is is shifting and yep. other people it sounds like you had quite good awareness as well that other people weren't experiencing this so I can imagine just having that going on in your your mind must have been really scary um, I just want to take a couple of steps back. So when I asked you about the kind of support that you were getting at work, I was obviously interested in what happened when the psychosis had developed. But I was also really interested before the psychosis developed, because I, I guess there will be a lot of nurses who experience a high level of stress and burnout, similar to what you might have had sometime before the psychosis developed. And I'm always interested in people's experience of what kind of discussions happen in the workplace around mental health so going back maybe some months before the psychosis developed what kind of conversations were happening where you worked around mental health and and what kind of support was being given to not just you but maybe colleagues none I didn't really talk about mental health it's one of those subjects that people just feel uncomfortable about talking about even though we are healthcare professionals 
it just makes people feel uncomfortable. We are the nurses. We are the ones who don't get sick. You know, we are the ones who don't have the mental health problems. We are the ones that it doesn't happen to. And when it does, everybody just doesn't know how to react. And they're all like, oh, you know, how's it going? Because I didn't think I did. I didn't think anything was wrong. I just thought I was very tired. And I just thought I was snappy, not doing my job, you know, the best as I could because I was tired. I had no idea what was coming and I just didn't see it for myself. I was very paranoid, like really paranoid. And I obviously couldn't talk to my boss and say, oh, good morning. By the way, I'm really paranoid today and I'm thinking this, this and this. But I talked to one girl who I who used to be a mental health nurse and we used to chat a lot. I used to tell her like how I used to feel. And she was so supportive and she was amazing. And, and I thought, if I actually tell her really, really everything, she's gonna think I'm completely mental. Because I remember being in a room with a woman and I could hear the voices and I went, can you hear that? And she was like, no. And I just thought she was joking to begin with because I just thought oh, that was a really good joke. But yeah, it was horrific. And I couldn't just come out and say to somebody, oh, by the way, I can hear a multitude of people. There are many, many people talking, but there's nobody there, you know? We all just think, oh, gosh, what's going on? So in a culture in which mental health in general is not discussed, to then have experiences which are perhaps even more unlikely or even more severe, the thought of sharing any of that was just, well, it just, just didn't feel like it was possible to do that. There'd be no one to really understand what was going on for you. It was a bit scary having to admit, you know, something's this badly wrong that you've got to say, you know what, this has gone so bad that I am seeing things I'm hearing things that obviously aren't there and I don't know what's reality I don't know you know what's going on how do I know you're real and yeah that's a scary place and to actually admit that to somebody you have to really trust them and you know that whatever you say is going to go in your record and you want to be really careful about what goes on your record you mentioned about that kind of belief system that happens within nursing which is like we're the ones who help other people we don't get sick I'm curious to know if that fed into how you perceived yourself and what you were going through and whether that created any kind of internal narrative about it be like feeling this is a weakness or I failed in some way completely it is because you are looking after people all day and you know when you finish work you still think about your patients and everything else we're not the ones that get sick even though we do get sick it just feels very strange and it does feel like weakness you know things have changed thank goodness for covid for one thing that's come out of covid is people talk about mental health now and they're definitely more compassionate than they used to be which is so wonderful to see but yeah it was i felt like a complete failure like how comes i'm the one that can hear these voices and nobody else can I must, you know, be really weak to be able to hear these voices and to feel so low and to feel so rubbish about myself. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling so rubbish? Like, it it was humongous, woe is me. You know, it was just horrific. It really was. And when I feel myself, we all get down days and we get good days. And when I get a down day, I'm like, you know what? That's just a little down day. That's nothing like psychosis and feeling the worst you've ever felt in your life that you just don't want to carry on living. You know, so I just know that if I get a down day, I can get myself back up just fine because I know it's nothing like having psychosis. Well, obviously we're glad you you live to tell the tale. It sounds like things really did get to the point at which you were having thoughts about ending your life. Can you just talk a little bit about how you navigated that and how you managed to get through that? Like what you would tell yourself, what you would do to get through those dark periods? 
I'd be on the sofa downstairs and I wouldn't sleep at night. And I was just thinking, you know what? I just want this to end. I just want this feeling to end. I can't see myself ever getting better. I just, I feel so bad about everything. I'm having to fake it in front of the kids. I'm having to fake it to everybody else. I can't possibly tell anybody else how I feel because I run a mile. They'll think I'm completely loony. They won't understand and they'll never talk to me again. So I, it was kind of like my dirty secret of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought if I just cut my wrists and... I'll be fine it'll all happen real quickly and but the only thing that stopped me it wasn't the blood that would have stopped me it was the fact that my kids would have felt me and I would have been cold that was the one thing he's not rational thinking at all it really isn't it's not like oh the kids would have come in and been this huge pile of blood and horribleness it would have been the fact that they touched me and I would have been cold and that was the one thing that stopped me from doing any kind of harm to myself because yeah I just didn't want my kids to have any kind of trauma from what had happened already. Suicidality is a really complex and individualised topic. You know, the reasons people have for wanting to end their life, the reasons people have for ultimately living, it can be very different. So that doesn't sound strange to me about having a child myself. I can totally get that. But, um, you know, it's obviously it's great that there was something there, even though it was perhaps a bit of a gory image or whatever in your mind that ultimately led you to not do that. So if you could go back and redesign the way staff, including yourself, were supported at the time or perhaps leading up to that point, maybe even the year or two before that, you know, having been inside the system and now, I guess, sort of being a bit outside looking back in, what would you change about the way you were onboarded as a nurse? What would you change about the kind of training that, managers might get the kind of training that you might get talk me through what would be an ideal situation to prevent the kind of experience you had i would be i would like to introduce coping mechanisms and talk about this in your training in nurse training about you are going to see things that are going to screw you up for certain things you're going to get ptsd let's just be honest you're going to see horrific things so why not teach people about coping mechanisms there why don't you say you're going to get really stressed you're going to get incredibly tired you're going to take your work home with you you know until you learn how to switch that off you know you're going to carry it with you so you're going to get a lot of overwhelm you're going to be pulled from the moment you start work to the moment you finish work you're going to be pulled here there and everywhere teach them how to have this coping mechanism that they can do themselves so that they know whether it's breathing or whatever it is that you teach them they can calm their nervous system down they can think better they can think nicer things about themselves and they can do their job and they can do it to their best ability even though it's going absolute chaos around at times that you can still do this and the managers can go right okay how was your day but if you felt it was a rubbish day you could go and talk to them and they could say right what can we put in place to help you like this is I'm going to teach you a coping mechanism It's going to really help you you can take it home you can do this wherever and there's multiple things that you can do but I think that's just not part of it they don't think outside of like you know obviously they want to look after their staff and they've got little tick boxes but what if you thought a little bit differently what if you were like right first thing in the morning everybody we're going to like get together we're going to do like some deep breathing whatever we're going to do something to calm your nervous system down so we all start on a better level and then carry on and if it starts to go a bit hectic and you know especially post-op wards if you're gonna like get lots of patients back at the same time you can cope with all of this stuff sounds like the few key things there like one is changing education 
and when people begin their career so almost from the nurse training perspective when you're leaving that being more honest and open about the types of things that you might experience and preparing people for that but then setting them up for as much success as possible at least coping by providing psychological emotional skills as well as continuing mental health education isn't it around what you're going to experience all of that helps to normalize people's experience doesn't it you're experiencing anxiety or you're experiencing post-traumatic stress whatever it is as you know something i believe strongly in as well we have very much overlapping aims goals vision for all of this stuff so let's focus now if it's okay on the recovery process so talk us through what happened after you were getting that great support from the gp just share a bit about the next steps that happened after that and then you can tell us all about what where that led you to now what you're doing right now if that's okay yeah so my gp i'd see monthly for six months and after that it would be every couple of months and then i didn't need to see him anymore because i decided to quit nursing i was like i went back and it didn't work so well the voices came back and i was like i can't do this so yeah i quit nursing and it was a wonderful thing to do the mental health team had to come back round because i had a little bit of a psychotic event again and they were like right you know they were said emma you know you can leave nursing and i was like can i are you sure about that? They're like, yes, Emma, you can. And it was kind of like somebody giving me permission to say, you can do something else. You don't have to be a nurse because while you're nursing, they're all got a pension, your pension, your pension, your pension. Oh, yes, I must stay in nursing. Or I'll do another year, do another year. Or keep going, keep going, keep going. Even though I'm very unhappy, keep going. And when somebody said, Emma, you can, just don't have to do it anymore. You can do something else. It was like a little light bulb moment. I was like, well, maybe I can. And so I quit and I felt very happy, but then I had no money. And then online, there were a couple of coaches that were talking about doing a free day event. And this was at least a year into psychosis, a year and a half. And they were two wonderful coaches who I went along and I did this three day event and they talked about EFT there. And yeah, it was something that just blew me away. And the first time I did EFT, I thought it was a bit strange, this emotional freedom technique where you tap certain parts of your body and you say certain words. I thought it was a cult. I thought it was somebody was recording me and going to laugh at me because I was thinking this can't be real. You want me to shut my eyes and say these things. And I laughed a lot. Second time I did it, it was something happened and something shifted. And I was like, oh, my goodness, for the first time ever, I feel better. I feel better. Something has lifted and I don't understand how this has worked. And every time I had another session with them and another session, another session, I would feel better. And I was like, oh, maybe there's something in this. So then I found somebody who would train me. And then this is what I do now. And this has been miraculous for me to for my recovery because I didn't want the medication because it made me feel so spacey. I had to be on board. I had a two-year-old little toddler boy who's got lots of energy. So you can't be spaced out. And there was something that I could take with me and do wherever, whenever. And it was free. And yeah, you just feel immediately better. So you found it just a really effective coping tool that you were never provided previously when when you were having all that stress with parenting and, and nursing. <laughs> so it came quite late, but it was very welcomed by the sounds of it. 
and it's incredible that you know you you did leave nursing you broke away and took that gentle nudge from those people but now you're doing something that is ultimately making you happier and not getting as stressed out by uh, by what you were doing before so with EFT I'm going to direct people onto you know your own resources to find out more about this because we could spend you know a whole episode couldn't we talking about all of the, the background around EFT and exactly what it is but you've kind of mentioned this a little bit but it I guess it, it's a technique isn't it that combines these methods where you're working on a kind of bottom-up approach to calm your nervous system by directly get kind of accessing your nervous system by tapping different points on the body but then also there's the more top-down part of it which is using words and phrases to kind of calm yourself emma very kindly did a session with me at vft and it was great it was really good to experience it and as I'm a clinical psychologist, but it's something I wasn't trained in and I was really curious to see and hear more about it. And it really was wonderful. Um, so Emma, tell us about what you're doing with that EFT now and kind of who you who you work with and, and what kind of problems you work with. I see a lot of people with anxiety. I've seen a lot of nurses and they're off because they are done. They've done COVID, they've coped really well and now they are burnt out and they've just got nothing left. They've just got you know they're just done they're depleted so I teach them how to do tapping and I teach them about coping mechanisms about when they start to feel stressed when they start to feel this overwhelm when they start to feel this anxiety because it is crippling when it comes and I show them how to use it and they're back to work and they're doing fabulous they're flying and they've got this tool that they can just take wherever and you can tap wherever and people won't know what you're doing, but you are calming yourself down and you just talk in your head. If you're in public, if you don't want to stand there going, even though I feel rubbish right now, you know, it, you can just do it in your head and you can feel amazing. You can calm it down. You can carry on and you do a better job because you've calmed your nervous system down. You're not snappy. You know, you can make better decisions. You can cope with well, it's not nice to cope with stress, but you can cope with your environment much better. Your head is clearer. So, you know, less mistakes are going to happen. It sounds great. And it's amazing that you're helping other people with that now after it's you've had your own journey yourself. Apologies, my, son, my son's just going to bed. So he's blessing. Oh. Uh, some tears. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible that you're sharing this really quite straightforward but very powerful technique with other people so we're coming towards the end of this conversation why don't you tell people where they can find you where they can find your resources if they want to connect with you and and follow you on social media and that sort of thing i'm on facebook and it's just emma henry eft practitioner i'm there i'm on instagram as well i think it's emma henry i think it's the same thing it's not very exciting emma henry eft practitioner and where I talk about how EFT can help you, what it can help you with, there's a multiple things it can, and I can show you little videos of how you can do it yourself. And I love the little one of you can do it in your fingers so nobody knows what you're doing. And you could be, because some people take the park and ride to work and they're thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to do this. I've, you know, my day's going to be really awful, but what if you did this on the way to work and you did a bit of tapping prior to starting your shift so you started a lot calmer and yeah I just think it's something that everybody should be doing if they can if they want to because it, it just it is so wonderful because it's free you could just tap on certain parts of your body and yeah 
I've freed people of childhood traumas and yeah, lots of amazing things and phobias and anxiety and they're able to go into a room and not feel overwhelmed and go back to work and cope with all that nursing brings that's fantastic definitely something for people to check out yeah it actually reminded me of something that I, I always say this to people when I'm doing any kind of work is that the things that contribute to our well-being tend to be these little things these little tools that we can just implement regularly right and if we have a kind of collection of things in our toolbox, it's not just about having, you know, magic wand and just like one thing we can just throw at everything. It's about having these short, brief little things. And EFT, the tapping is definitely one of those. So I just want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been great to hear your experience again. And I just know a lot of people will really benefit from hearing your honesty and openness about your mental health like we said near the beginning of this conversation it's often something that is not talked about there's often a lot of shame around mental health or mental ill health and having conversations like this and sharing them will help other people realize they're not the only person experiencing something so thank you so much Emma. Oh, thank you for having me i've really enjoyed talking about it thank you.